This is Frameform. Welcome and welcome back to Frameform. Today, I'm thrilled to be connecting with Anya Raza and Aisha Linnea, directors of the documentary feature film, How She Moves. For our 2021 festival season, Dance Cinema screened How She Moves as part of our online and theatrical programming. Lucky us, Anya was in attendance at our event at Eaton Workshop in DC. The post-screening conversation was incredible and all of us frameformers in attendance agreed we just had to highlight this important documentary and the dynamic duo that made it happen. Anya and Aisha, welcome to Frameform. Thank you for having us. <laughs> so happy to be here. Before we dive into our conversation about the film, let's get to know you both a little bit better. Anya is a Pakistani Dutch writer, filmmaker, and economist. She is moved by the human spirit and seeks to tell stories that stretch conventional definitions. How She Moves is her directorial debut. Currently based between Washington, D.C. and Islamabad, her work has always had a focus on quieter voices, supporting humanitarian causes, the quest for economic empowerment, equal rights, and freedom of expression. Anya is currently in pre-production with two short films, The Choice and Asthma, and writing her first novel, Where the River Meets the Storm. She is a proud member of stand-up comedy troupe, Arat Nak. Aisha Linnea is a Pakistani-American filmmaker based in Islamabad. Her work aims to celebrate uniquely Pakistani subcultures that don't fit comfortably within the greater cultural identity. Although Aisha's focus is on direction and writing, she has a diverse background in acting, music, and production. She has directed shorts, commercials, and music videos for local and international clients. Her work has been nominated for various awards and has garnered attention from media outlets such as the BBC, The Guardian, MTV, Al Jazeera, Vice, and more. She's currently in pre-production on another documentary. So here's a little bit more info about the film, followed by the audio for the official trailer. On the eve of Pakistan's 70th independence anniversary, we follow the spirited 90-year-old guru, Indu Mitha, as she prepares for her students' final performance before she retires. How She Moves pulls back the curtain on her life as one of Pakistan's few classical dance teachers. We observe her give a feminist and secular spin on classical dance and see the transformative impact it has on her students. How She Moves has toured 18 film festivals globally and won three awards and two nominations. Though this is an audio format podcast, I really think we can get a lot from even just listening to the trailer. So here we go, the trailer for How She Moves. Please call me Indu, and you can always add a G if you find it uncomfortable. Dry run, as they call it. Indu Mitha is teaching classical dance from last 60 years. Mitha, however, sees dance as secular and involved. I wanted to tell stories of Pakistan itself within Pakistan. In my young days, I was always dancing. I was born in Lahore from a Bengali family, which had been Christian for three or four generations. I think I stood out like a sore thumb. The fact that you were a female in your dancing makes you an activist. Begin with a dancing girl is a prostitute, and that's the end of that. You are a dancer, a professional dancer. So, what does that mean? Rights are rights. Rights are all, but no one doesn't believe it. We were all in uh, that procession that went to the High Court. 
the girls at the front were shouting out to me, auntie, auntie, keep the back broad. फंसे हुए हैं हम बिल्कुल फंसे हुए हैं कि ना हम जन्नत में जा सकते हैं ना हम दोजक में जा सकते हैं जो औरत डांसर है जो हर तीन चार महीने बाद हम सुनते हैं कि वो कत्ल हो जाती है ऑनर के नाम पे इज्जत के नाम पे अब आपने भी सुना होगा कि शीमा करमानी को कत्ल की धमकियां दी जा रही हैं मिसेस मिठा कहती है कि यूं की आखिरी परफॉर्मेंस है कुछ मैंने सोसाइटी के दबाव से ली थी द फर्स्ट थिंग आई सेड टू देम वॉज प्लीज होल्ड योर हेड अप होल्ड योर स्पाइन स्ट्रेट लुक एट पीपल इन दईस इट ऑल शोज कॉन्फिडेंस इन दम सेल्व एंड इट हज कम फ्रॉम द डांस क्लास जस्ट अ फ्यू डेज लेफ्ट एंड सीम टू बी सो मेनी थिंग्स दैट आर ओनली हाफ डन so you're starting from here from your heart you pull your strength into you you release it with love and compassion to the whole world you are passing something on but that's the beauty of it you can take it forward that sounds like beethoven So I encourage everyone to also go online, check the show notes, check the website, and really watch the trailer and, of course, the entire documentary. But I really felt like it was good to just even include the audio so we could get a taste of what this film really is. So how would the two of you describe your film, How She Moves, and who should see it? Obviously everyone, but if you had to pick, who do you think should really see this film? Jen, that's so kind of you. Um, I think uh, how we see how she moves is it's the story of an inspiring uh, Pakistani legend preparing her students for her final show before she goes into retirement. And who should see it? Um, anyone who needs some wisdom, who needs some motivation, if you love to dance or if you want to get to know another side of Pakistan. Or if you take uh, freedom of expression for granted, it's also a good one to... Uh, you know see the power that uh that can have on your life and what a great thing it can be on so many levels dang that's real <laughs> well how did the two of you meet because you both have this very intentional approach to the project and it really shines through as we're watching sometimes when we when we look at a film that's covering a career it can it's all great information to have but you don't always get that position narrative and that impetus behind it and that intention and even just hearing you highlight freedom of expression and get and gaining wisdom I definitely see those as themes that shine through this so how did you two find each other what sparked this collaboration and what was working together like so the the genesis of the film was really when i found out that mrs mita who was at that point 90 years old was having her final show and i was really excited about that because dance was always i i i'm a big lover of dance but i know that dance is always a, is seen a, as a little bit of a contentious topic in pakistan so when i found out that she was having her last show i was extremely excited because i wanted to get started on my first documentary and i um i reached out to aisha at that point we knew each other we had a lot of mutual friends but we weren't friends just as yet 
and um, her work always stood out to me. It had a lot of strong character and specificity, and um, I really appreciated that attention to detail. So I reached out to her there, and the rest is history. <laughs> yes, and that's where my story begins. So Anya called me, and I had no idea what it was about. She told me a very brief sort of synopsis of what she wanted to do, and it didn't take much to sell me on it because it did seem like a pretty important kind of moment in time to capture. Um, we're also from pretty similar backgrounds, so we probably have a similar framework to how we see the world working, but I think Anya and I, like, personally are quite different. She's very soft-spoken and gentle and um, I like to say she's the glass half full to my glass half empty <laughs> so I thought that that would make uh, you know a kind of a balanced uh, approach and working relationship and yeah we actually did not have our budget or approval for the project until the day before we were filming but we had already sort of decided that whether it comes through or not, this was an important thing and we were just gonna go ahead and film it and worry about the rest later if it didn't come through. Um, luckily it did, but yeah, and that was the start of our journey. Well, passing along a question that Claire asked at the festival screening, what was it like accessing and gathering all of the archival materials that we see in the film? Because we are talking about a choreographer that is 90 years old and it has been working in this field and creating dance longer than many of us have even been alive. So what an, a wealth of information you're looking for. And as you mentioned, dance having this interesting place within Pakistan that we'll talk more about later. How difficult was that to find the materials, to digitize them, to put them together? What was that experience like? So much of the archival work started happening after, after we shot most of the documentary because we started recognizing that we needed to build context for the story of dance in Pakistan. And I think that's where I spent months and months and months just trying to figure out what it is that we wanted to show exactly and what our history we wanted to show. Um, we were really lucky because Mrs. Mita gave us access to her archives. Um, so these cute old dusty VHS tapes that we had to go and get digitized. Um, not great quality, but we, we tried our best. And then um, it was really just like going out into the world, going into the community, trying to find people who had videos of dance or context of dance, because just to give some perspective, it was banned, uh, dancing publicly was banned for the longest time in Pakistan. So you weren't actually able to find videos of people dancing. And so um, it got really exciting because then we started kind of finding things online from the 60s, from the 50s, uh, from people's um, old libraries, home, tapes at home. And that's where uh, we really managed to create a story of what the history of dance was. Uh, but it's, it's, a very, it's a very convoluted history, so it's, it's never clear. But archival work for me is super exciting. I really enjoy it. I think that it's always really nice to see how things used to exist. Um, and we were really excited to put in a sequence like that in the film where we really had a sense of like what, what last 3,000 years of dance will look like here. Yeah, it's a tall order. Like, what does the last 3,000 years look like? And I think that you did a really good job pacing it and editing and putting it together in a way that it wasn't, quote-unquote, dumbed down for the audience, but it was very accessible for people that would have zero context. Um, which I think a lot of people do. I mean, when you say that public dancing was banned in some countries, that sounds like that must have been hundreds of years ago. 
you know, it doesn't seem to be something that happened in our lifetime. Um, you know, I mentioned before this conversation, like my dad's from South Africa and I think stand up comedy was banned there until the mid early to mid nineties. So when we talk about freedom of expression, I think it is really important. We don't take these things for granted and we do get into the, the nitty gritty of why these things are. Yeah, I was, uh, it's not super relevant, but I was just going to say that while Anya was absolutely amazing at finding the amount of archival stuff that she did, and, you know, I was also, like, doing the best that I could to find stuff, um, it was very challenging just because of, you know, that as we said, the time that this was all happening in. And, you know, that's it did sort of lend a lot to why the film is cut the way that it is because especially for montages and these kind of things there are points where i personally might have wanted you know a clip to run longer or to give it a little bit more breathing room or that kind of thing but we were quite limited by the footage that we you know managed to access So no matter where you live, class, race, gender, and religion are all woven into the dynamics of who is, quote-unquote, allowed to dance, who has the opportunity to learn, and how the general public perceives dance and the people that do it. So how would you contextualize this documentary within what it's like to live, work, and dance in Pakistan? And are there any particular challenges or opportunities that you'd like to highlight for those who are less familiar or who haven't seen the film yet? So that's such a loaded question, Jen. That's like everything in one question. <laughs> um, I, you know, we spent three years trying to figure this out. Like, what is dance? What does dance mean? I think when we jumped into making this film, at least for me, I had no idea that this was such a contentious topic. I thought I was making a documentary about dance and about an incredible dance instructor. and towards the end of it we realized well this is actually representative of a whole lot more and that's why the film kind of uh, went in the direction that it did because we saw that women's rights were and continued to be taken away on the street and women were struggling and fighting and standing up for their rights and then at the same time we were seeing that their small pocket the small community of dancers was dancing and practicing behind closed doors and they themselves devoted completely to the craft and yet at the same time people were questioning them their identity why they were dancing how they could be dancers um, because to some dance is not part of our culture and for others dance is, has been part of our culture for 3000 years and so we were constantly in the middle of that going wait this is something that's so important someone is expressing themselves they're expressing their cultural stories their historical um, stories, and yet there are people who, who, who just think that that is absolutely wrong and that doesn't belong as part of our culture. And this isn't just with classical dancing, this is with folk dancing as well, and folk dancing is something that originates from the folk themselves. So it's not really something that we can deny, um, because strangely, in Pakistan, anytime we get to celebrate, people dance. So that's the irony of the whole thing, is that we're exploring this entire thing where people are saying this is not a part of our culture, and yet um, we're seeing it all around us. For sure. It's part of the human experience. Every culture has dance, and it's one of the older art forms in most cultures as well. Before we were telling stories with media and with technology, we only had our bodies to communicate. And it's, it's shocking, and it's interesting, and... It makes me so hungry um, and curious to hear that there can be such 
conflicting beliefs from people that honestly are, are living in the same place and probably have the same information available to them. I think um, it's not even just, you know, of like different groups living in the same place, having different opinions. I think it's even just you could take one person, but it's the context with which in you're seeing dance that completely, you know, adds a whole new element to it. Um, you know, like our society almost <laughs> revolves around weddings. I mean, weddings are an absolutely massive, massive part of, you know, everything in Pakistan and weddings revolve around dance and it's pretty much completely acceptable for men and women, maybe separately, maybe together, but dance is seen as a lot more acceptable in that context than it might be otherwise. I think once the thought of money being involved so if you were a performer and you were to be paid for that, I think that ventures into territory that some people might be uncomfortable with. I think, you know, any anything where women's bodies are concerned always becomes subject to becoming a contentious topic. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not so simple. That's what I was wondering. And even before the economics um comes into it as a factor is that what is that what is at the core of this do you think is it one people coming together which might actually cross those religious or class lines or those economic lines um and is it also human sexuality and how people sexualize dance in general are those maybe the things that you think are influencing if dance is acceptable or not, because in a wedding context, the idea is, oh, well, we have families here and there's specific roles. And I know in, you know, weddings are evolving, especially as people are, you know, making new choices based on their generation or mixing their cultures and their families. But traditionally, different cultures have different kinds of dances at their weddings. So before we go into things more linked to um, the content in this film, my curiosity is kind of peaked now. Like what in this acceptable setting of like a wedding, what kind of dancing is done there? Because if it's, is it traditional cultural dances? Is it more contemporary like social dances? I would say it's most closely. You guys do the electric slide? <laughs> most closely linked to Bollywood and then you know whatever other influences that also Bollywood takes from everywhere else whether it's hip-hop or you know what have you maybe even the electric slide you never know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would say the most direct link would be to Bollywood. And, you know, those dances can be quite, you know, um, what's a good word? I don't know, flamboyant, expressive, like, a, you know, you're not just, you know, gracefully turning your wrists and like slowly meandering across the stage. Like you're really, you know, letting loose and women are thrown down. So which always, you know, used to surprise me. And even like, I feel as a kid, it, even though this is not the sort of context that I've been raised in at all, but of course we're affected by society. So I remember when I was like a kid and more just awkward, I would see dances at weddings and kind of feel awkward myself. I'd, I would think like, I would never like dance like this in front of like all these people or, you know, 
my uncle or you know what have you so um yeah I don't know how Anya feels about that you know dancing and watching dance it requires a, a it's a, a, a type of vulnerability I think and there is this direct um, objectification and sexualization of women's bodies that just sort of automatically occurs and we sort of embody it just by growing up we be we become awkward we become small we we start feeling conscious of our bodies I mean this was a big thing that we learned from Mrs. Mutaz how to develop strength in your own body and confidence in your own body so to to I think the dance itself in whatever form um, it's it's a type of storytelling it's a language that you're communicating in and if people aren't comfortable with being vulnerable with expressing themselves um, non-verbally I think that says more about them and about society than it does about the dance itself um, now in particular when we're talking about weddings and we're talking about Bollywood this is a larger conversation about Pakistani identity um, what is Pakistani culture like? Where do we stand? What do we care about? And in this case, we very much want to distinguish, our, distinguish ourselves from India. But at the same time, we used to be one country, so it's natural that we will have over, overlapping cultures and traditions. That is a big struggle that we're dealing with internally right now. I totally relate to that as someone that grew up in Canada, literally on the border, and sharing so much with American culture. And now having been in the States almost 10 years, seeing that there are such similarities and such differences and the attitudes towards what parts of culture are shared and what parts of culture make us unique. I remember being so offended that Vermont was famous for maple syrup. <laughs> that is our thing up there. Like, how can one state just claim maple syrup? But it happens. And when you're saying Bollywood, I think a lot of people internationally automatically think India. And they might not even include Pakistan in that. So it's really interesting that even your pop culture is shared but can create some division in a way. Definitely. And, and the saddest thing of it all is that it's just people expressing joy and having a good time. So there is no malice involved with that. Um, and people have their own boundaries and their own degree of interests and I think that that's, that's something that freedom of expression should allow for. Um, but, you know, trying to identify what your own identity is, um, is, is something that we keep, we keep dealing with um, and is an ongoing conversation. And for Aisha and myself, I think we're both, we're just um, observing um, because it's, it's something that keeps changing. Um, just, just in the time that we made the film, um, we had uh, uh, commercials on television that were banned for dancing. TikTok was banned and then unbanned and then banned and unbanned in Pakistan for, for having explicit content. And by explicit, I mean potentially a dance video or two, you know. Um, we, there's so many things that are going on with dance in Pakistan, and yet it's something that's such a, a, a large part of our history. So it's political but it's also just, you know, another form of language. Isn't that interesting that it does become political, even though it is something that is so personal and natural and has existed forever? And what a gift that you were able to actually know and dance with and learn from Indumita, and especially during this film. I'm sure as an adult, you're able to ask questions and observe in such a different way. So how would you compare your memories of and that experience of how Indumita coached you and made you feel more empowered in your bodies, um, having that confidence and that expression 
versus what wisdom did you gain throughout the production watching her as an adult and with this perspective and this sort of agenda or this focus to make a film about her? What was that like? So I, I mean, Anya will probably have a more interesting answer for this because she did actually take a few lessons um, from Indu or a, like maybe a, a couple months or so. Um, I, however, was too chicken to take dance classes when I was younger. I was way too shy. A lot of my friends, uh, mutual friends of Anya and mine, uh, also attended Indu's classes, and I used to hear a lot about it. It sounded very intimidating. So going into this, you know, as like a tw late 20-something and hearing these lessons as an adult, it really did make me wish that I heard these things a lot earlier in life. For instance, she tells us, I mean, she's telling us what she tells her students, usually young girls, which is to stand up straight, push your shoulders back, keep your head up and like own the space that you're in. And this was not messaging that I got in my childhood. And even into adulthood, the only thing you really hear is just like, don't slouch which is, you know, not the same thing. It's like, okay, I could try not to slouch, but like, then what do I do? Um, so I found that my posture and general sort of the way I was carrying myself was kind of, Indu was having a positive effect on me through the course of um, not just filming her, but also probably especially during the editing process, just hearing those words over and over again. Um, so yes, she had a direct impact on my physical being through the course of uh, editing and shooting the film. Well, when we edit, we kind of become this hunched over like editor demon. And it's probably is very helpful to get that reminder to be like, um, you're slouching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's actually science to prove that. And there was a TED talk by I think her name's Amy Cuddy. And I'll link it in the description um, where she talks about power poses and how it's not just a hollow gesture, your brain responds to how you're holding your body. And there's this feedback loop. So what a beautiful gift to say, stand up straight with your shoulders back, command the room, be confident. Because even if it's the fake until you make it, like even if you don't feel that way, the mind will follow the body if you do that first. Absolutely. And it, 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 really, it, it really says a lot when you're able to stand up and stand with confidence and look people in the eye because we're told, and, and this may, people may disagree with me, but like I very much felt um, shy growing up, very conscious of my body and very conscious of how society was viewing me. And to be reminded that you, know, that you don't have to, just because someone's perspective is that, you don't have to embody that and you can counter that actually, and that that is something that, that every human should contain within themselves, that ability to take up space gracefully and have the confidence to stand up for themselves. That's something that it might sound really obvious to you, but in a place where you're kind of hunched over because you don't want to show your breasts and you don't want to show your uh, your femininity and you're you're a woman, so you're meant to kind of be silent and small and in the corner. When you're around a teacher who, by the way, isn't very tall or big or imposing either, but just you know reminds you to be uh, uh, um, standing up for yourself and really speaking up for yourself. That that does wonders. I was, I was eight, nine years old, I, I took, I think, a semester or two of classes. I mean, it really, you know, when you're that age, it can't be classical dance. It was really just 
learning movement, I think, but being in a place where I was look, thinking from my ankle, from my toe, all the way up to my eyebrows and the way my, you know, the way my neck was forming, at that age to have someone say, hey, it's okay, stand up, take up that space. It was, it, there was no other person in my school or even around me that was, that was behaving that way. And just to counter, the rest of my classes, uh, we would have sports classes or you know physical activity classes, and our teachers would say, hey, the girls, they shouldn't run, it doesn't look good. So you guys, you can have a free class. <laughs> yeah, you guys Seriously? can have, a, yeah, well, so there you go. And that's the irony, right? But also sign me up, because I don't want to run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, of course, plenty of people don't want to either, and that's the thing. I mean, it's, you know, you're in school for a reason, you're learning for a reason, and having strong, uh, mentors with wisdom and experience, life experience, and, and diverging experience. I think that's the best part of having a, a well-rounded education. Because you shouldn't have to agree, and you, you should be put in positions that you're uncomfortable in, at least just to be able to get out of that shell of, you know, the comfort zone that easily starts building from a very young age. Was it uncomfortable or awkward at all trying to record things as they were happening and also not be invasive but get the best shots like how was she during the production did, did she she seems like the kind of person that's maybe just too cool to to notice or to care in some ways was like I know you're making a movie about me whatever like I've got I've got stuff to do I'm here to focus on other things like how was she during that I would say that's somewhat accurate I mean I feel like you know once we had sort of gotten our agreement out of the way we basically said you know we will be as fly on the wall as possible and interfere as little as possible and we will not get in your way. <laughs> um, you know, it, we definitely made every effort to abide by that and especially, you know, for the first couple days, I think everybody, um, not just her, but her students, everybody's a little bit taken aback, like who are these people, why are they here? Do I feel comfortable now there are cameras on me? I'm already doing something vulnerable and I'm dancing and I'm sweating. And But uh, I, I mean, I think initially we had even taken a sound person with us, this really huge sound dude. Um, and that was on day one. And after that, I think we had made the immediate ex executive decision to uh, try and do the sound ourselves because it was a, kind of a hindrance. I mean, I think once he left, it was a lot easier for us to try and blend in and, I mean, just sitting at the corner of a room and trying to interfere as little as possible. But I think the mood would shift a lot. Um, you know, when the lessons were going on, we were very, very uh, distant from everybody taking part. But once it would end, um, Indu students would often gather around her, kind of just sitting around her and chit-chatting and having a little team meeting chit-chat kind of situation. And that's where we would try and familiarize ourselves and get everybody comfortable. And we would also see, you know, a different side of Indu full of jokes and laughter and silliness. And lots of stories. Oh, yes. The film was just such a good ride of information and emotion. Like, there really were those laugh-out-loud parts where she is dead serious saying something, but it's actually hilarious because <laughs> just, like, what she's saying is so true. 
Um, has she seen the film? Has she seen how it's come together? Have the students seen the film? I can only imagine their reactions to like watching themselves, seeing the, their rehearsal process and all those moments pulled together. Oh yeah, they've definitely seen it. I think um, we we released it in twenty twenty was our sort of premiere here, so we kind of missed having like you know a big screening with all the participants involved unfortunately so we didn't get to see that firsthand but yes they've definitely all seen it yeah it's still our hope to because you know i think releasing it during covid was something that was so confusing as well and which meant that we weren't really able to spend time together and be close to each other and um you know we we released it and it's traveled to so many different film festivals but actually even within pakistan we're still trying to find like the right platforms and places for it to be seen and because I think it's a very loose, you know, a lot of her students are abroad, they're in different places. Um, so we're still, we're still figuring that part out, you know, trying to get it out into the world, um, which is why, you know, we're so happy to be on this podcast too, because we love this film so much. And it's such a, you know, it's, it, it's we, we put so much heart into making this film. And, and it was a really, you know, complex time because I'll tell you, while we were making the film, there were huge protests happening on the streets. Uh, there were protests uh, where women were standing up asking for their rights and women were using their bodies and using their voices. And it was, there was this parallel that we kept seeing of what, um, what, what a woman standing up and using a nonverbal, nonviolent form of expression, what that looks like. And so uh, we were really excited to see uh, the stories that she was telling and then the stories we were seeing on the streets and, and all of that coming together is something that we, we still see um, to this day. We, can, we still see the relevance of um, the work that she did and the work that she continues to do. That's really beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. And I can imagine that emotional tension as you're creating something that is somewhat of a retrospective, but then seeing that it is so relevant now I imagine there might even be some frustration with that where it's like if people only knew and if people could only have these conversations and get more educated on the context for this then maybe we would see some change and maybe we would you know be able to evolve in some way this film has so many layers to it that to me make it important I think it's really important that people see it I think it's important people learn also just because for cultural awareness and to understand that the way that the citizens are, the way that the leadership is, these things really do have repercussions on how people live their day-to-day lives. And people say it's brave to, you know, post a nude, but honestly, I think it's, it's more brave what you're doing here, which is to go into a sensitive topic and really in, a, in an informed, delicate way bring those controversies to the surface and really try and help people understand it, whether they live in Pakistan and India or whether they have never been there and have no context for it. I think this film's done in such a good way that whatever your background is, you can definitely learn a lot from it and be very inspired and gain a lot of perspective. Was there anything that through the making of the film and seeing the finished product and having it seen by different audiences, was there anything that surprised you or that, you know, you learned? Hmm. You know, there are a lot of things. (laughs) Um, It's like, where to start? (laughs) I think, like, yeah, definitely where to start. Uh, 
So as filmmakers, we too are trying to create art and trying to tell stories. So I think trying to figure out the narrative was also really complicated because we knew that it, we didn't want to make it a traditional biopic. So really trying to understand what the various factors are that, ha that affected the making of this final show and the people and the students and the society that was coming to watch this show. So that was something that was really, you know, the streets are alive, they're, they're on fire, people are screaming, they want their attention, things need to change, and yet we're in this quiet room where people are telling stories from hundreds of years old, they're secular now, they've changed, they have a Pakistani flavor, but they're still, that's, that's history. And so they're not thinking about what's happening on the streets the same way, they're just thinking about, hey, when is my next show, where, where, where can I perform? And that's the challenge with arts in general, you know, it's the first thing that loses funding, it's the first thing that loses any, any kind of support and in a country that is really battling poverty, we're really seeing the repercussions of that. So Indu um, was one of the few dance teachers that was left classical dance teachers. So really just watching history happen in front of you in two different, two different places. So you're watching it with culture, but you're also watching it when it comes to our rights. Um, it was something that we were constantly, Aisha and I had long, long conversations about just what, what is the story that we're telling that's timely, that's relevant, that captures history, but also shows how we're walking into the future. Yeah, and um, just to add to that, I think one of the biggest challenges we had with the film was, you know, what you ended up seeing was probably around 40 minutes, but we did go and follow quite a few of her other students that you don't get to see in the film, and those would have co covered topics a little bit more related to class or religion. Um, and those are, of course, very important topics, but it was a huge struggle for us to think, okay, do we put a little bit of this in and just graze the surface, or do we leave it out, or do we delve really deep into it? Um, and that's a very hard, Thing to choose to say what is important because obviously all of it is very important but ultimately I think we felt like we were already cramming so much in to tell just the story of what was happening you know present day combined with basically the history of dance in Pakistan and pre-Pakistan that it was a really hard kind of choice to have to leave out a lot of powerful stories that should also, you know, come to the forefront and stories that should also be told and heard. There's a phrase that you have to sometimes kill your darlings, that, you know, you have these elements that are just so dear to you, but for the greater good or for the, the whole and for the balance of things, it's like, oh, I got to leave that part out. Jen, we have a cemetery. Yeah. We have a cemetery. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Truly. Well, it sounds like maybe we need to do a, an entire series, you know, in addition to the 40-minute doc. <laughs> so if anyone's listening and this sounds interesting to you, we got a project here. We've got the footage. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's definitely this desire. I mean, it was so hard to go, okay, now we're done. We have to be done because we were also, like, wrapping up in, during COVID and um, we'd had some personal delays with um, with other areas of our, our, our lives. So, you know, the project just, it took three years to put this together. And when we finally, finally, after all of that, you know, created something, it was so 
difficult because we were so proud of the piece that we created, but it's, it's a film, right? It, there's no way that it could f fully and completely capture every single aspect of every single life who's involved in this, in this film or the lives of the stories of the people that are um, uh, the women on the streets or... Or, or even just the topic itself. I mean, even just the dance. I mean, I think that would be one thing that, uh, you know, Indu, Mitta and other dancers might feel when they watch the film is that they would probably want to see more like technical sort of going a little bit deeper into, you know, these kind of things that in a 40 minute film you don't really have the luxury to include as great as that would have been. The reality is if you don't curate it down, not as many people are going to see it. So there's really an art to that where it's like, okay, we could do a three-hour film, but then no festival is going to be able to show it, and an online audience might not watch it. I know that when we were looking at our programming, I was like, it's 40 minutes. That's actually really good. Um, you know, it's long enough to be a quote-unquote feature and to really – anchor a program but it doesn't have to be like an entire evening and because we screened it in 2021 like we were coming out of COVID so a big concern was not having people in the theater for three four hours at a time and being able to say okay we're going to go get some fresh air and then we're going to come back for the next screening and being able to spread that out so I was so grateful that we were able to not just share it online and thank you both for consenting to that um, with the parameters we agreed to because, you know, I totally understand how some people just don't want their film online. I get that. But the fact that you were able to offer that means that my audience in Canada and internationally that weren't able to come to DP, they were actually able to see it as well. Personally, I'd like to thank you for that because I have students that were able to watch it that we're not going to be able to, with all the COVID regulations, get on a flight, come to D.C. and watch it. So where can people see how she moves now? Or what is the next screening or opportunity that we have lined up for it? Uh, so how she moves is kind of like a, a slow beast. Uh, we just we keep kind of like we have screenings here and there. We're really excited about um, just last month we screened at uh, Germany's oldest university, Heidelberg University. Nice. And also with Rogue Dancer, um, who Yay. I met actually at Dance Cinema with you, which was really great. Hey, Scully. <laughs> and in, uh, in Texas, um, in the Frame by Frame Dance Festival um, in November. That's awesome. So we have these awesome, you know, all these people who, who see our trailer or hear about our film. A lot of people reach out to us on our Instagram um, yeah. at um, How She Moves the Doc. And they, they reach out to us and we even set up informal screenings through them and, you know, they get updates from us. So it's really something that we're, it's, it's, it's still very much alive. And because it came out during COVID and because it's still quite a confusing time anyway for indie filmmakers, but um, post-COVID distribution has been challenging, um, we're just excited to create all as many screening opportunities as possible so people get to see this film and um, use it as a springboard to kind of jump into you know, the deeper topics of dance in Pakistan and um, what it looks like to move there. We will include your Instagram, website, um, email if you want. We can include all of that in the show notes and make sure that people that want to see this film and create opportunities for more people to see this film can get in touch with you because it is so important that we do that. 
My last question, because we do have to wrap up and we do got to kill some of those darlings, unfortunately, is what is Indumita up to now and what is next for each of you? So I guess it's like a twin question. So Indumita uh, recently received the Pride of Performance Award, which is a national award in Pakistan where she was rec recognized for her contribution to the country. That's amazing. Yes. And what's next for each of you? You know, it took it took us three years to make this film, and now it's two years later. So we're like five years into figuring out what this magical language is between us. And it's honestly been such a pleasure working with Aisha because we we both just really, really delve into the details. And while that might be painful, I think it's also just the best approach because it really is very um, academic and research oriented. So. Um, it was it was really wonderful working together on how she moves and we knew that we wanted to continue working together and um, a project came our way just a couple of months ago where um, we're continuing with themes that we like which are women's empowerment um, you know preserving heritage um, so we're working with this uh, company right now of um, artisan designers that they're called she works and they're they're telling their courageous story of working together and keeping their ancient tradition of um, our embroideries alive. So quite excited about that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love that for you too. It's actually really wonderful working together again in a very different context. Yeah, it's fun to be able to, you know, take all the lessons learned over the previous experience and actually be able to apply them to something else, which is, you know, that doesn't always happen. So it is really cool to actually be able to do that. There's a, a moment, I think it's in the movie Billy Madison. It's like this really stupid Adam Sandler movie. And he goes up to this kid to tell him to like appreciate his youth. And he like grabs his face. He's like, cherish it. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like looking at the two of you on this call and hearing you talk about your collaboration. I'm so excited you have this new project. And I'm thinking, cherish it. <laughs> this is so um, rare and valuable to find someone that you can work so effectively with. And you know you've already pulled off a great project. And I'm so excited to see the next one. Like even though it has nothing to do with dance, it has so many themes that I'm sure are going to be really beautiful to like resonate with how she moves and just I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity today to talk more about it it's really not enough to just have the trailer and hope that people read it um, it's so much more rich to have people talk about the making of the film uh, what it's been like afterwards and of course get a sense of who the people are so thank you both for making the time to be here even though we've got big time zone differences and extremely busy lives. I'm glad we were able to find a moment in time to really give this project the attention that it deserves. So thank you both so much for being here on Frameform this season. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you so much for having us. This has been truly a lovely conversation. Yeah, and it's so nice, Jen, that this conversation continues because, you know, it started with being the first uh, dance cinema was the first place that we had a formal screening in person, Yay. you know, and so I really love that this is continuing and I'm definitely going to have your voice in my head saying, cherish it, cherish you know, it. Anytime. <laughs> anytime. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> that should help the uh, ongoing editing process that we're in the middle of right now. I'll send you the meme. You'll, you'll hear my voice and you'll see like that poor kid's face being grabbed. Yeah, we'll receive it gladly. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. <laughs> really appreciate it. It's been great being on the show with you today.
If you want to learn more about Indumita and her dance, you can reach out to her daughter, who is also a dancer, Terima Mita. Her link is in the show notes. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to learn more about how she moves and the dynamic duo that made it happen. Thank you again, Anya and Aisha, for being on the show, and thanks for listening. This is Springformed, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team, with social media assistance from Maddie Leitner and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.